Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, a pantheon of government technology leaders on the future of tech. It's Friday, October 28th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Today, a special treat on the Daily Scoop podcast from ACT-IAC's Executive Leadership Conference this week in Hershey, Pennsylvania. The conference opens Sunday night with a conversation about the 20th anniversary of the E-Government Act. Former government tech leaders Margie Graves, S.E. Miller, Maria Rote, and Renee Wynn were members of the panel. Former federal CIO Suzette Kent led the discussion. I get to play moderator today. So for all of my uh, media friends out there, it is so exciting to actually be able to ask the questions and not have to answer them. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm going to ask each of our esteemed panelists to give you their name, their last role in government, mention some of the areas that they've served across their career in government, um, and then talk about, and then at least tell you their favorite adult beverage. <laughs> so Essie. Well, good evening, everybody. I am Essie Miller. I retired in 2020, yay, as the Principal Deputy Chief Information Officer for DOD after 35 years of government. I think it's pretty cool. I started two weeks out of college working for the Air Force. My first 20 or so years were with the Air Force. I got a call from the Army, said come be our CISO, and I ticked for about three years because the Army's just different. From there, I called to move over to be the OSD CIO, and I ticked on the other side, and I think I got balance when I moved up to be the acting CIO, or I lost my mind, whichever comes first, and ended my career as the principal deputy. Since then, a little bit of board work, a little bit of advisory work, and a whole lot of wine. (laughs) So for those of you that have ever been to Napa Valley, there's this the one African-American-owned winery there is ironically called Brown Estate. And somebody knows it. And Brown Estate has wonderful red wines. My intent was to do their favorite is chaos theory, which is reflective of what we live in government every day. But tonight, it's a nice zen. <laughs> All right, moving on from chaos. From chaos. <laughs> do I need to bring order out of that? No, or? no, 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 no. OK, no. good, good because I'm going to talk a little bit of chaos, too. Um, Because uh, I came into the federal government at the stand-up of DHS after 9-11. And uh, we all were trying to make, uh, I guess you would call it a a whole cloth out of multiple pieces in DHS. And so that was a little bit chaotic, too. And there wasn't any underpinning infrastructure or governance to do that at the time. But we made it work. And then after being uh, in DHS for about 14 years, I moved on to uh, OMB, where I was the deputy federal CIO, was acting CIO for about a year until you rescued me, Suzette. (laughs) And then then ultimately uh, served a couple of years with you and then also retired in 2020. So I think 2020 was a good year. year. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. So um, I I think my favorite adult beverage is probably uh, I hate to say it, I'm a Southern girl and I went to University of Virginia, so probably bourbon and water. <laughs> there you go. So I'm drinking the red tonight. All but... right, kid. <laughs> Thanks, Margie. All right, Renee. Hi there. Renee Wynn, and my last role in the United States federal government was the Chief Information Officer for NASA, where I delivered. Woo! 
where I delivered services across the globe and off the planet, <laughs> including cybersecurity, hence the gray swath. <laughs> no, um, and I went. It's been to, other colors. <laughs> it has. It's pink now for breast cancer you need awareness purple month. Or something. So, yes, exactly. So this is it your was reminder. Purple, yeah. Yep, exactly. So this is your reminder. If you don't, if you have a loved one, please remind them for regular checkups. It does save lives. Uh, and that, so that is my one pink. And, that, and thank you for that. But how did I get to NASA? Well, I worked for the Environmental Protection Agency and I was in environmental policy and then I switched into IT operations and I loved it. But I also got to see how we treated this planet. So how am I gonna get off? Let's see, what agency has a rocket? <laughs> Excellent, NASA, do you need somebody to come help you manage your IT? And they, Oddly, they said yes. Clearly, they didn't check my mental health record. <laughs> exactly. So I was with the United States federal government for 30 years, something I vowed I would never do. But I fell in love with the mission and serving others. And so uh, I also uh, hung out, uh, sent my papers in, uh, digital signature included. Thank you, Suzette. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> We worked on that one to do that, and that was in uh, 2020, and now I, I hang out, I hung my own shingle, and I help others be successful from independent consulting to strategic advice work to also hopefully one day serving on corporate boards where we can do um, great things uh, you know, in a bigger perspective. And my favorite beverage right now, November 14th, let's hope we have it, Artemis launch so that we can put the first high-heeled boots in regolith on the moon. <laughs> All right, so if you're buying cocktails uh, for Renee, Artemis wine. <laughs> exactly. All right, Maria. All right, Maria wrote, uh, my last job was the U.S. Deputy Federal CIO um, over at OMB. Just retired this year with um, 40 years of between active duty and federal Ooh. service. So, yep. Thank you. Um, you know, I worked at many agencies because um, I just can't keep a job. Um, but uh, I really, I, the civilian agencies and TSA and components of DHS, and I worked in DOD and I've been all over the place. So it's easier to say that I've hit almost every mission space transportation, intelligence, you know, the financial, all the sectors. So I think I've hit them all. Um, but again, I can't keep a job, and I've never done the same job twice, so we'll, we'll see what happens in the future. Um, but yeah, I've, I've you know, worked at a lot of many places, and I've been in tech my entire career. My first job was a tape librarian as an E2 in the Navy, so magnetic tape. So um, I've been around a long time in tech and seen the ages. So, Currently, um, I hung out my shingle a couple of months ago doing some advisory work behind the scenes with a couple of companies, working with some nonprofits, um, continuing to give back. I've always volunteered, and I'm continuing to, vol to, to continuing to do that. So, um, oh, my favorite adult beverage. So, my those of you who know my husband who met him, he's been he used to be a bartender. Um, so he makes whatever I want, but usually it's something in a fun martini glass. And with bourbon, yeah. so there you go. Yeah. Doug is an extraordinary bartender. He's a, he's an we awesome we bartender, often start so. our calls with Maria showing off I to the rest of us what she's been and served. Send the pictures and she's usually outside somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Huh? I, that just get red. <laughs> 
Anyway, so let's talk about, we're going to do our first story kind of in the beginning. And, and you heard from each of the intros how long and important their service has been. But with the eGov Act, we have seen consistent change. And most of you are in the room because you are still part of that. You're still driving that. But eGov helped us bring technology-centric activities together, structure agency teams, and be more focused around what we did. So, Essie, I'm going to start with you about uh, maybe tell us a, a story about bringing that structure and the focus into for, or for technology mm -hmm. against mission. Do you guys remember when everybody had their own server? Sometimes underneath <laughs> the desk, and everybody would desk, rub that under, server under their purr, desk. Purr, they were under their desk. Okay, hugged it, rubbed it, whatever you did to it, but you had your we own. We had to count those things. Exactly. <laughs> and life has evolved since then uh, for most of us. Um, <laughs> the Department of Defense has defense agencies. I don't know how many DOD folks are in the room, but I will disavow anything you take from this. Um, <laughs> 22 agencies across the department, all with their own special mission, but for the longest, all with their own IT, be it shadow or otherwise, and still hugging the servers that they owned. And along came not only sequestration, but major budget cuts. And nothing like having a burning platform to make organizations shift their way of thinking. It was an opportunity, we took an opportunity to take a look at IT, the IT posture across all of DOD, particularly the DAFAs and how we collapsed that. So can you imagine going into somebody's office and saying, we're taking your IT responsibility from you? But having to shift the conversation, not taking it because we want to take it, but taking it because we need you to focus on the mission at hand. Each of the agencies had a core mission. I want you to focus on that core mission versus having to worry about IT and whether your server is maintained and how you keep your software licenses going. So like most folks, we did the inventory. It helps having the Secretary of Defense on your side to say, hey, we're shifting all of this over to DISA. It forced us to take a look at all of the toys that we purchased from industry partners how we collapsed that into an enterprise view so that we could see not only what everybody had, but the cyber and the security posture of what they had. Pick that up, move it over to DISA so that the professionals could provide those common services to the agencies so they can turn that workforce back to focus on where they need it to be. But here's the key, 600 different IT contracts, now down to two a single view of where those organizations are from a cyber aspect would not be that way if we hadn't stopped to just really take a disciplined look at what we were doing and how we were doing it. So when you talk about the impact of being disciplined, a big piece of that is having the professionals do it. There's nothing like having, everybody thinks they're an IT pro. <laughs> but let the folks that are responsible for that technology mission do it for you, which helps those agencies to really focus where they should be. 
So I'm going to ask both Margie and Maria to talk about, you know, Essie had to go and convince everyone to, mm -hmm. to, to come together, to work as a whole, to, to bring together capability um, that was already in place. But Margie, you had to go in and work where there wasn't any structure. There wasn't an agency. You were putting those things together. So I'm going to ask you to talk about that. And then um, Maria has shared, and I know that I've seen some of the uh, SBA folks out there, in <laughs> modernizing an agency, she shared the toys that she found where there were still disks and old servers and things like that. So I'm going to ask you both to talk about your journey that's a little bit different, how you brought structure and lifted and matched technology to mission. So another magic number that Essie mentioned, which is 22, we had 22 separate entities that came together to form DHS. Some of those were existing parts and pieces, some of those were whole agencies that came over. Each of them came with their own mission space, their own infrastructure that supported it, all of their applications, and a culture that was very relevant and was supporting that agency. So when we pulled together all those parts and pieces, not only could we not understand our full scope of inventory at the very beginning, but we had to understand that uh, there was no enterprise. Uh, we came together as DHS under a law that said it had to be budget neutral to form DHS, which meant there was no money to formulate a headquarters function. All the agencies still really like to have money. Yeah, yeah. that's true. That's true. So uh, really, we had, to, we had to carve it out slowly. And at first, if you think of the size of an agency like DHS, you know what the scope and breadth of that mission space is. We only had 300 people at headquarters. And we had to go fight all the battles for uh, funding in Congress. Congress did not rationalize the money to follow the mission space when they pulled all of those pieces and parts together. So we had to do that. We had no governance structure. We had no, uh, I would call it an, uh, you know, an investment review board. We had to develop that from scratch. The CIO council, which is one of the very first things that we put in place because we knew very much so that we could not possibly rationalize all of the infrastructure and all the applications and the mission support that we had across the agency unless we had a coalition of the willing and those people had a voice in what should be at the enterprise level what should be delivered at that enterprise level, and what should be delivered in the different components of DHS. And DHS was a federated agency. Everything that we did was through coalition building. There wasn't anything that was by edict. And developing that culture from scratch uh, was really an incredible experience that I wouldn't have traded for the world because ultimately I think it prepared me. Once you do that, <laughs> There's not much else that, uh, that can scare you because, uh, you know, you have to go and talk to people who carry guns, uh, you know, in the law enforcement agencies and, and who don't want to give up their IT and uh, understand, understand that, um, that they are part of the equation. And we had to rationalize, uh, we didn't have an integrated mission space. We had to start having those conversations about how does ICE, CIS, and TSA and CBP play together in the, de in the development of that common mission uh, and sharing the data. None of that data was shared. All of that had to evolve over time. Uh, but the beginning of that was, was a little bit wild, wild west, and, and Maria was a part of that, so she remembers. Um, but um, 
but eventually we came to the, to the conclusion uh, that ultimately we had gotten to the point where we could, um, we could move forward with DHS as one DHS, uh, which was not an easy task. And our, our first uh, infrastructure consolidation was, uh, was 22 data centers down to two. And that was not an easy. And I made friends very quickly with Soraya Korea, who's in our <laughs> audience tonight, because you cannot do this. We all, we all talk, we're up here talking about technology, but you cannot do this without your CFO and without your CPO and understanding the yeah. procurement ramifications because that's the way that we pull in the industry partners to help us. Yeah. Thanks, Martin. So, so, so Essie and Margie had to fight with people with guns before yeah. they took so away their I, technology. Can I tell a quick story about self-discipline and technology? Yeah. I want to add on to Essie's before I talk yeah, about the team. Um, so this goes to the 90s before the eGov Act. Talk about self-discipline and technology and servers under desks. You made me think of this. Um, I was working at a particular place, not to be named in the mid-90s, <laughs> and this is when we, everybody was moving from 2.4, 9.6 circuits to T1s. Okay, say ooh, ah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, so there was, and you remember, some of you might know, there used to be like sniffers that were a box and you plug it in the network and nothing was encrypted. I found somebody who was running a MUD, a multi-user dungeon, because our location had a T1, and there were people coming from all over the world to play this Dungeons and Dragons game. Anyway, I just wanted to share about a server under a desk, and, and, and this ties back to self-discipline, because once they figured out that I had the sniffer and I could see everything in the clear and everything they were doing, and where all these people were coming from, um, that kind of moved away. Um, <laughs> Yeah, they took that down, and uh, it went away, yeah. So, anyway, talk about self-discipline. Um, but, I, you know, building a team. You know, Margie talked a little bit about this at DHS. I was there in 2004, and stood up the, the Secure Flight program, right? Talk about building a team, and from CAPS-2 to Secure Flight and all that. But building a team as, as part of, you know, the, the foundational, um, when I was at SBA, talk about having to build a team. When I got pulled over there, I'm in the construction business. If you look at every job I've been in, I build something. And, and going over to SBA, the team was so critical to the success of modernizing an agency that was more, more than 10 years behind in technology. I've talked about this publicly before, but this, is, this was huge. So when you look at the EGOV Act, eh, it gave CIOs some authority. Then you have Fatara on top of it. Right, give the CIO some authority. But it wasn't just building the technology team, it was building that team with the CFO, the Chief Acquisition yeah. Officer, with the Chico, because when you walk into an agency and you're 50% down on IT staff, and oh, by the way, you, the rest of them out there in all the offices don't report to you, you have to build a team, and that's foundational. Margie alluded to some of this as she was talking about DHS. You have to build that team. It's not only building your technology team, but it's building the rest of the team with the CFO, the chief acquisition officer, the procurement officers, and everybody else in between to really move the needle on something because it's not about the CIO, it's about that team and about really driving that change. And you can't do that without all of those people. And it's not about the technology, it's about the mission and using the technology to enable it, right? We, we, I'm preaching to the choir here, but that's what it is. You have to build a strong team 
that's not afraid to take risks, that's, a, that, that's willing to step out there, that understands the mission. I can tell you, CIOs, you know, all of us have been CIOs, are in a unique position because they not only have to understand technology, you have to know everything else about the agency and about the mission and know all of those levers. And it takes that team and building the team. And if you're a CIO that's just got tons of energy and you're ready to go and you really wanna move fast, you need a team that's gonna be able to keep up with you. And building that team is so integral to really, you know, it's not just technology centric, but it's all the rest of the pieces that really make an agency successful. Yeah. Hell yeah! yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly members of Marie's team. Yeah, you know what, yeah. I, I'll tell you what, I, I've built a huge tribe out there and, and those folks are just incredible and they just went along for the ride on the risk with me. I don't look good in an orange jumpsuit, I've said that, but anything else is outside, uh, we can go. Keep going. Keep well, going. As, as we were talking kind of about this whole process, Renee, one of the things that, that you said too is, you know, building teams, bringing the structure, focus. But you talked about how important it was to share purpose, focus, intent with the industry partners. Absolutely. And what that collaboration meant as we tried to solve problems. So, Tell our audience yeah. a little bit about yeah. that. So let's, let's connect industry partners with mission. Astronauts have email. Astronauts have iPads. Uh, those astronauts are from Russia. And those astronauts are from other countries besides the United States government. And so we were switching over at NASA to Office 365. And our partners at the International Space Station reached out and said, we want this for our astronauts too. We don't want to leave them behind. What? Who cares? They're 200 miles away. So you sent an IT person with them up. Oh yeah, we did. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Or should I tell this? Yeah, exactly. You'll be payload next. <laughs> and that. So actually, in uh, September of 2019, we delivered safely from here with gravity and all its impacts. Um, with that, we delivered September 2019 Office 365 to the astronauts uh, stationed on International Space Station. And we did that with our industry partners, Microsoft. We can all figure that one out, right? Um, or do I need to tell you? Right? Well, that's not the only time. So astronauts bring their private stuff on board. Never alcohol. Oh, cheers. I've seen what the Russians put in payload. Vodka? Vodka. Water. Vodka is water in Russian. So it says water right there on the label. So it must be. It must be, exactly. With that, water? Yeah. cheers to the water, everybody. So uh, the iPads, very popular at the time with our astronaut cadre on that. Well, we have to update them because, oh, by the way, there are cybersecurity changes in those updates. Couldn't get them to work, couldn't get them to work. Space Station called us again. I love the guys at Station. They are so fabulous. And they called again, like, gosh, we could use the help of the CIO. What? You guys called me dumb, ugly, and stupid just last week. What do you mean <laughs> that we're going to have our help? But we did it. And what we did is we called in our partners at Apple, because what was happening is with the uplinks and downlinks, there's timing and all sorts of really mechanical physics type stuff. Don't ask me those questions. And that, but it was really struggling, and we've never had this problem before. So Apple, with actually my team, the CIO team, were able to come together to come up with a way to develop a packet 
in order to do the updates to the iPads with, uh, for on station. And so the astronauts were, yay, we have our iPads again, so you could watch their movies, Interstellar, all that. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I'm sure they're watching Dairy Girls. <laughs> right, or British Baking Show, that's on Fridays. Um, yeah, so this connection with your mission partners becomes really important. And I'm gonna tell you one more story with our mission partners, and then I'm gonna go over to the importance of industry partners, because it, if it weren't for the strong partnership that NASA had with some of its IT contractors at the time we pivoted, for COVID, I don't know what we would have done. And I'll tell you more about that in a second, but a really quick story. So we're, my son has given me for my birthday, we're gonna go have dinner at a Japanese restaurant. So we start at home with cocktails and we're taking Uber over. And my phone rings and it's work. Now I have a rule, couple of sips, don't answer it. But I also know what's going on today. <laughs> It's coupling day, so this was the first time Russians were trying automated coupling to space station. They didn't make it on their first attempt. So I was being called. I didn't know they didn't make it. I was gleefully in the back of an Uber headed towards an awesome Japanese restaurant that my son, who's off payroll now, is paying for, right? <laughs> Who doesn't want to celebrate that? So I pick up the phone and like, hey, this is, insert name. I'm like, hey, how are you doing? Like, like, yeah, you're trying to be cheerful when you know, just get to the point here. And what had happened is um, we were in the admits at the CIO shop. We run 24-7 as well, just like um, a, lot, a lot of parts of NASA. And this coupling didn't happen. We had the video. The CIO shops does all the video for engineering and safety team uh, on all of the coupling events. And that way, you know, we can turn over the video or it goes into archives for study for later to maybe make things better and it didn't happen and it was shift change. And so this is authorizing overtime funds and actually quite a bit of money for, these are very specialized technicians. So I had to authorize the yes, please keep the team that had been there for the missed decoupling to then bring down the video, get it ready and get it prepared and ship it over to safety and engineering. Now we can't share technical data, but our engineers will take a look at it and share whatever information that is appropriate with the Russians when it comes to technology. And on second attempt, the Russians were successful in their autonomous coupling event. So those are the little things that you get to do in the mission. You think it's big stuff, like finding Reader Rabbit when you're monitoring the network. I thought astronauts could read, apparently not. Um, with that one. But then it comes down to your industry partners as well. Um, when I had gotten to NASA, we just finished a lawsuit by one of our industry partners, and I'm like, what? I'd never heard of that one. But clearly I said, it's a relationship problem, and I do relationships well, sort of. If you do what I ask, the relationship goes really well. <laughs> Beautifully. Yeah, they, oh, wait, That's cheers. a common rule. Cheers, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. right, right, right? Yeah, go ahead, change the bathroom color in your house, men. <laughs> Maybe a towel, washcloth, you'll be okay. You'll still live through that, but maybe not. With that, so, um, so here we are at the precipice of 2020, and actually NASA, because of quarantine requirements for your astronauts is already, we've been um, high alert for the pandemic uh, beginning in late 2019. 
And that, so then it's time to do the pivot. We're gonna practice with the network and everything else. And then on that fateful day, uh, March 6th was the last day that our Ames uh, facility was ever back in the office for a very long period of time. And it was our partners and our end user services that pivoted beautifully. And we were able to ship our software to everybody. We were able to, with our partnership with procurement, we were able to use home addresses for shipping things that we couldn't do. Um, we were figuring out, uh, called friends in um, at some of the carriers and said, we got last mile problems for some pretty key people at NASA. Do you think you could figure that out? <laughs> um, and so it's a little bit of a bat phone in the job, so use it respectfully and listen to what I do. Ask for, please. And that, so we were able to do this, but we shipped stuff right away. We were able to um, take the big monitors, our scientists in particular used two and three monitors. All of that equipment went home with our folks in about two to three week period and people were fully operational. And it's because the, for the first couple of years of our new contract, we spent, we, both sides of the ledger, spent getting to know each other. You need to tell me when my team messes up, me, my team, Renee's, because I'm gonna tell you when it's not going right. And we had some really good conversations because we also had 30,000 devices that did not have appropriate protections for a cyber attack. And if you look at the Chinese space program, there might be some similarities, intellectual property similarities between the two countries on that. But it is through that partnership, not only did we raise the bar and serve during a pandemic, but we had three historic launches that year and all of them were served through this end user support. We launched uh, another rover to Mars with the first ever helicopter ingenuity. We launched uh, the um, James Webb Space Telescope. Uh, and then there was one more, oh, first, first commercial crew, how could I forget that one, right? And commercial crew in July of 2020, and all of them went without a hitch, and they had all their computer services because we established a partnership of trust on both sides of that ledger, um, and we could not have done it without our industry partners. So I thank every single one of the industry partners uh, from NASA when I was there for your partnership, your trustworthiness, and giving it your all when it really got hard, so thank you. So we're going to kind of end by jumping to today. So we, we talked a lot about how we started and, and, and what that building effort meant over the course of 20 years. I know there's so many stories out in this audience that we hope we're going to hear over your cocktails later this evening. But you also heard parts of each of the stories that's around connecting to the mission and being focused on how we use technology to solve real-world problems and how the technology teams have to partner with the financial office, the procurement partners, and industry to achieve those together. So we're going to end with some continued evolution and kind of where are we. Um, Renee kind of started us with surviving some of the tough things, um, and particularly during COVID. Um, we had examples where all of the agencies worked quickly together, not just with their partners, but sharing resources with each other. 
um, giving feedback on what needed to be priority and maybe some things that went on you know, the back burner, and, and dialogues that help continue to elevate the conversation across agencies about being mission focused. So um, Maria, I, I'm, I'm gonna start with you just to give uh, kind of the where we are today and how that's positioned many agencies to survive when the times are tough. So, so I think the collaboration, right? That's really um, a huge part of this. And Suzette talked about this, you know, with the pandemic, you know, we put together a list of all the things that the council needed to do, the CIO council, short term and long term. And one of those items that came out of the pandemic, and when I say out of the pandemic, I'm talking in 2020, May. So March, April, May, June-ish timeframe, about four months, the council put together a list of short-term and long-term things that the federal government absolutely had to do to move the ball forward. And the collaboration and that capability was front and center with all the CIOs, front and center. So I'm gonna go back and Gary, I shared this, Gary Washington, I shared this with Gary, seven years in the making for industry, interagent, or I'm sorry, for the federal government, interagency collaboration, seven years. When I was at DOT, going back to 2014, 2015, I saw there was a need. I wanted to be able to chat with my CTOs. I wanted to be able to chat with them. Why could I not chat with them? Very simple, basic stuff. I wanted to chat with, you know, DOJ, and I wanted to chat with TSA, and I wanted to chat with everybody. Could not do it. And the barrier was not technical. And if you fast forward out of the pandemic, the barrier was not technical. It was people and culture and getting policy out of the way, getting the bureaucracy out of the way to enable interagency collaboration. It took that long. I will tell you that at SBA, we had a little pilot going on with the EPA and NASA working on um, interagency collaboration. We did a little working group. Amongst ourselves, outside of the CIO Council, we just did a thing. I told Suzette what we were doing, but we did it anyway. And we did it to say, well, what are the barriers to interagency collaboration? I'm talking not just chat, calendar sharing, document sharing, all of those things. So while I was the CIO at SBA, we had a little group. And then that moved into a bigger group that the security, um, the CISO Council took on, right? To say, what are the barriers to interagency collaboration? The CISOs were like, this ain't gonna happen. Guess what? I fast forward again to 2020 when I took on the role, when Suzette left um, as a federal CIO and I came in as the deputy, guess what? I could do a thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, We've been kicking the tires from 2015, 2016, while it is SBA, working with NASA and the EPA and the CIOs. I had a pretty good sense of what it took to enforce and move the needle on interagency collaboration. And guess what? That was one of my two top projects when I came on board after Suzette left, and we ran with it. And today, I think, Gary, we've got, what, about half the agencies are on board with interagency collaboration. And it was in technology. It was the people, the policy, not so much. You can change the policy and you can do the updates. It was perceived policy about that. So about half the agencies today can collaborate, share calendars, share documents, 
but it's the culture and the people that needed to shift. So Gary took, I keep calling out Gary because Gary took over that project after I retired. So bless you, sir. <laughs> I think you need it. <laughs> but it was the power of the council. It was the council. I brought it to the council and then of course Claire's came on board and uh, you know she embraced it as well and continued to drive this and it took the power of the council and the CIOs that said yes we are going to do a thing even though we had started along this path but getting that commitment. And there's so many examples of the CIO council. This is one very simple example of getting out of our own way to make something happen for the good of the federal government. Thanks, Maria. Well, and as we look to the future, um, I, I know that one of the conversations that um, Claire and I had originally and, and continue to have, one of the night conversations we have often is about building talent and creating environments that not only bring in additional talent, but help build and develop talent across all the various teams. Um, you know, Essie, you had some really interesting stories and thoughts on you know, career progression and how we support each other, not just in a traditional mentor-mentee relationship, but looking at the fact that technology is a many-year career, mm -hmm. um, and we have to, there's a lot of great times, and it's easy to uh, all celebrate together during those great times. It's harder to get to solutions when times are tough, but would you share a, a couple of those with the audience uh, as we close it out? I like to say it takes a village. You know, we all it have a responsibility. A We're a village. We are a village. <laughs> and it took a village to help us to get to where we are, and we became a village as a result of that. But looking forward, we have to look at the next generation and what we need to do to shepherd them along. You know, the, I like to say the kids, but the younger folks behind us think adults. very different. The young <laughs> adults, okay. They think very differently than we do. They operate differently than we do. But we also know the value of seasoning. You know, the things that come to mind is as we were doing Dios, where's Laura and Hassan? You know, we all tick over what we were doing so that we could get 365 across the Department of Defense. But there was a young intern, I think, working in Suzette's office who just wasn't showing up the way she needed to be to support the rest of the council. I didn't go to Suzette. I called that young lady and said, come spend some time with me. And just really talk through the opportunity that she had in front of her and the responsibility that she had sitting in that role. She had not put those together because our young adults think about <laughs> what's right in front of them, what they have to get done and how they meet the expectations that their boss has put. We, the village, have a responsibility to have those conversations so that we're growing the folks that are coming up behind us. And if we're afraid of doing that, everybody else will be too. We'll miss an opportunity to make sure we know who the next Maria, next Margie or Suzette are. Renee and I will be around for a while, so. <laughs> no. But I just don't want everybody to lose sight that we all have a responsibility in this space. So look around to see where the talent is around you and figure out how you cultivate that and help them understand it's not about technology, it really is about relationships. It's not about checking blocks, but it's about growing. All right. Yeah. So.
We talked about 20 years. You see people who have been working at it longer than 20 years. There's many here in this audience that have the benefit of all the work that has been done and stand on the shoulders of that work. And as we talked about, it is our responsibility now going forward to continue to lift that bar. So thank you for celebrating 20 years. Thank Yay. you for sharing stories. There's more stories that, uh, that can be shared. And more wine. And more wine. And cheers to all. And, and happy birthday, EGOV. Former federal CIO Suzette Kent with Margie Graves, S.E. Miller, Maria Rote, and Renee Wynn at IAX ELC 2022 this week. You can find a link to watch the video of that conversation in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like the Daily Scoop podcast, leave us a five-star rating and review. It'll help more people find the show. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher helped me put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop podcast is back on Monday with Kim Weaver, the TSP. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. <laughs>